The Kinky Cocktail Hour is brought to you by Motor Bunny, the world's most powerful saddle-style vibrator that offers fabulous creative sexual experiences. We use it and it rotates, it vibrates, and it delivers mind-blowing orgasms. Enjoy Motor Bunny as your favorite sex toy. When you order the Motor Bunny, multiple attachments are included along with the link controller, which allows wireless control from anywhere. Motor Bunny is the world's most powerful saddle-style vibrator on earth. Use the link in the show notes and spice up your sex life with a Motor Bunny. You're listening to Kinky Cocktail Hour, a conversation between adults about sex-forward relationships, kinky lifestyles, and frank communication. If you're under 18, please stop listening and visit scarletteen.com. I'm Lady Petra. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm Sapphire Master. My pronouns are him, his, and he. And this is Kinky Cocktail Hour. Cheers! Cheers. What are we drinking today? Well, I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) I get to make a drink. Yay! One of your favorites. My favorite. The world's leading Kinky Podcast Hour drink Drink. in history so far (laughs) by vote. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> is the gin martini. Yes. You know? Beautiful. Yeah. Nice twists. I went from the twists. You did good. We had just enough tangeray. Yeah. <laughs> so I made this with two parts of tangeray and a quarter part of vermouth. Mm-hmm. And then a couple drops of orange bitters. And I stirred it. Really well. I heard it. you stir it really yeah. well. And then squeeze the twist over the top. Nice, honey. And let's see how it smells. It smells very citrusy. citrusy. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a fine martini. It's just about as smooth as it gets. Yeah, that's fine. That's very good. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, I like that. I have big shoes to step into. <laughs> but you make these so well. Mm. These are so good. I really just love, you know, we've been drinking a lot of really interesting cocktails lately. Yeah. And they're... Mostly in the world of mixed drinks. Yeah. And you've landed on a few that have been really spectacular. Late? A couple lately, but there was one or two earlier as well. Yes. It just, yes. just really rose above everything. Yeah. And, you know, we're coming up. We're not there yet. We're on... <laughs> we we're have about, what? About 19 or 19 so, 18 more. episodes to go. Yeah. To get to 200. Yep. And then at 200, what we'll do is we'll revisit the top five... Of the most of recent... the most recent 100. 100 yeah. And then we'll have a vote off on the winner of first <laughs> yeah. five versus the last five to see which is the reigning champion cocktail. Yeah. And that'll be our signature cocktail for the next hundred yeah. podcasts. I think what we should do is obviously the next hundred, when we get to 200, review whatever the top fives were yes. for that second hundred. hundred. Correct. Well, but then also when we see the number one, we yes. should pose it against the other number one. Yeah, so drinking a toast today Yeah. to having cast our ballots in the election. Yes, we voted today. We Blue voted. wave. Blue wave, here it comes. Yeah. And just pulling for Georgia, Texas, and Florida to come through for us. I really am. Mm-hmm. really am. And we had fun voting today because we, we voted, and it yes. was great at the drive-up 
drop-off box yeah. for the ballots. It was nonstop cars yeah, there. Yeah, that's true. And it was weird because last year when we voted... In the um, primaries. In the well, but even so, in the there primaries, was nobody there. there was like no. We never had anyone else drive up while we were voting. But right. as we're walking up, cars are leaving the lot. Cars are driving in. So we had to like actually prepare because we wanted to be fun about yeah. this. So we brought our gas masks with us. Right. And, you know, okay. here we are dumping the dog and people are still are driving voting and we're putting on these huge gas masks so right. that we can take a picture of ourselves like voting. We're voting. Yeah. And then, of course, giving, uh, you know, orange fuckwaddle guy the a finger, finger right. in our gas mask just yeah. because we can. Hopefully with the number of people coming out to vote, it seems like the numbers are enormous. There will be there will have been over a hundred million votes cast mm -hmm. by the time no, November third comes around. So yeah. almost a, almost half the votes that are going to be cast yeah. will have been cast by the time November third comes around. And right now, it's it's too early to tell, but according to Nate Silver on five thirty eight, the Democrats are leading in the in the early votes by like four to one. And so, yeah. you know, the later votes and the daytime votes will sort of even things out because it will be a close election. We know this is a huge turnout this time, and I'm excited that it is because we're exercising our civic duty and our voices for the democratic process. Yeah. But I want to really see what those numbers are if we're really getting the people voting. It takes everyone to vote. Yeah, no, we definitely are seeing massive turnout. So... In 2016, 63 million people voted for Hillary Clinton, mm -hmm. 60 million for Donald Trump. So that was, the, that was the highest turnout to that point. Yeah. In 2018, 10 million more people voted. Well, and, and in I 2020, another 10 or 15 or 20 million more people are going to vote. The most powerful advocacy group in the country are people who choose not to vote. If they chose to vote, they could completely change the way the country is The landscape governed. of the country. Completely. Well, and, yeah. and my thing would, I applaud everyone that's standing in these three seven-hour lines or what have you. Oh, my God, yeah. And I feel for them because we literally went on a walk yes. while we're cooking spaghetti sauce. Yes. It took us... 15 minutes 15 to get there. 15 minutes to get there. 30 seconds 30 to vote. 30 seconds to vote because we took selfies. Right. And we were there. Like, there's no one else there. We could drop our stuff in. There wasn't a wait. No. And we're done. Now, now to and, be fair, our ballots only came today. And Washington State has mail-in or drop-off But, but that's what I'm saying. We're afforded the option. Yes. We, we don't have in-person voting here. No. We have drop-off or mail-in yes. or go to the election office, office and do it. Right. right. I'm just shocked that all states aren't allowing that because these people in these seven-hour lines bless your hearts for standing in those lines. Well, the thing that's, like, that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. The thing that's, there was a study done by an election commission that found that in no jurisdiction, in no county in the United States should anybody be required to wait more than 30 minutes to vote. And the trouble is, in many of the red states like Georgia, Black communities, in particular democratically leaning, but mostly black communities, have fewer places where they can vote. That's what I'm saying. They've, they've reduced the amount of places, even places that have mail, 
drop-off ballots. Yeah, I saw on Twitter that they've reduced it to one location in the county. For four million people. Yeah, it's insanity. That's crazy. You know, the GOP, they have committed themselves to... Suppressing the vote. Well, suppressing the vote and having fewer votes counted. And they've done it across the board. They actually have made it a business to make it harder to vote. And in a free country like America, you should be able to vote. Countries like Australia, everybody's registered, everybody votes. And it's it's, it's mandated that they vote. Yeah. Or they get fined. Yeah. And I just think there's, like, they've made a bunch of false targets, like, like for example, the GOP claims there's massive voter fraud. There's no such thing as voter fraud. Well, and in our ballots, yeah, it absolutely says in, like, five different places, yeah. no postage needed. So mm-hmm. we could either drop it off at a post office box. Yeah. And ideally, if we chose that option, we would go early. Yeah. We could take it to the election office directly and deliver it. And that might have a line, possibly, because right. there's other people that want to do it. Because people have a real sense about voting in person, right? They do, yeah. Or you go to a ballot drop-off box. And, right. and ours was listed in our ballot yes. as an official drop-off location. Correct. Okay? Yeah. So that's what the state of affairs is. I think... If people would follow what Washington's doing. So think about it. If someone's going to vote, they're going to have to take a day off of work because of how long it takes to vote, right? Yeah. But people shouldn't have to make that decision when they vote. They shouldn't have to say, I have to use a vacation day or a sick day or whatever I have to use to vote. It shouldn't cost them to be an American citizen exercising their civil rights. Yeah, I think voting should be a month-long process. Yes. And I think everybody should be able to vote by mail. Exactly how we're doing it here. Yeah. I think everyone should vote by mail or Dropbox. There's like five states that do mail-in voting only. Colorado's one. I think Washington's one. But states like California where... Where where their vote is huge. Where their vote is huge. They have thousands and thousands and thousands of drop-off boxes. I mean, I think the bottom line is that... You know, we exercised our constitutional right to vote, and we think you should too. Please vote, and vote early. Yeah, vote early. Get Make sure your vote's counted. You know, I'm a sadist. Yes. And, you know, when you met me, I was involved in disciplining a woman who was struggling with smoking and weight loss and yeah. so forth. Yeah, and we talked quite a bit about her. <laughs> we, we, we did. You know, we had a long conversation about her. Yeah. And my experience of being a disciplinarian extends way back to high school. Yeah. Where, you know, where caning was part of my experience in the English school system. South Africa. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, we've talked with various sorts of people on this podcast. We've talked with sadists and masochists and so forth. We haven't talked to a disciplinarian. Yes. And today we have SP on the podcast. Yes. Who is a Texas-based disciplinarian. Yeah. And I'm sort of interested to hear what his point of view is. He has a tendency to discipline women. Yeah. Who are seeking, and he can explain it in more detail, but they're seeking corporal punishment as a disciplining context for their existence. Right. And so I want to welcome you, SP. So welcome to the podcast. Greetings. Thank you for having me today. Thanks for coming on. So we normally begin this conversation by asking you about how you discovered your kink and how you got from there to here. So tell us about your story. Well, like most people, I've had an interest in corporal punishment my whole life. So as far back as I can remember, even for some reason, before I understood what it was, I had an interest in it. Didn't know why. 
just did. So years went by before I could actually do anything. There wasn't a lot of resources for my particular kink, I suppose. Perhaps there was, but I was not aware of them at that time. As I began to investigate more into the lifestyle and going to a few parties, I discovered making parties. I could meet actually other people who had the same interests as I did. Different levels of intensity, of course, and different reasons why they're all into it, but they were nonetheless into it, so I had someone to communicate at some level. Then I realized that I had more interest in being the submissive initially. That's where I started. And so it wasn't long after that before I found a mistress and I became part of her sessions. She would see me from time to time and she was grooming me, I suppose. Not sexually, but just in other fashions. Basically to be a servant to her <laughs> in ways. So I did that for a while. And then I had opportunity. She thought maybe maybe he has some dominant tendencies too. We can find this out. So I helped her out on a few sessions that involved both male and female, different ones. And she could see that I had inclinations towards dominance more so than submissive, but I still clinged on to the submissive half of it for a while, for a few years. Then I decided I'm really a dominant. And I was already accustomed to severe punishment to begin with, paddling, caning, whips, as a form of punishment and to, I guess, build my character. <laughs> so with that said, I decided at that point, after Five years of being submissive, I decided I'm really more of a dominant and I like doing that more. I had more of a tendency for that. And I thought I had a good personality for that, as well as more of an interest. I think I discovered myself is almost probably a better way to put it. So with that said, then I began to find submissive ladies who had various issues. I was not interested sexually in them, per se, because I always had either a girlfriend or I was married. So... Um, ones who were seeking behavioral problems. They, they want to stop smoking. They want to stop drinking. They want to stop this or that, or they have a bad attitude. Some of them were just masochists who enjoyed pain. And so I began meeting a lot of those ladies. And they had no sexual interest at all in me as far as that goes. I, we would do canes, we'd do paddlings, we'd do whippings. And so I really didn't like leather too much. I didn't like being whipped with it, but also... It was. It just didn't feel right in my hands, so I gravitated towards canes and paddling, and so I got very good at both. And I really, growing up, I remember a lot of corporal punishment in the neighborhood, from kids getting spanked to schools to everything. And so now I had the opportunity to actually live what I'd been thinking about my whole life up to that point. So I began pursuing it, and I have been on FetLife only for about six months, and I used to live in Dallas. But now I live in a smaller town in Texas, in East Texas. And I built up a lot of relationships. And I have a lot of regulars. And the ones that I used to see in Dallas, I don't see them anymore simply because they were locals and they can't come see me for whatever reason. Their lifestyle had changed. They had gotten married, divorced, moved on somewhere else. They got tired of the lifestyle, some of them. So I just started all over again. I wanted to get new people just from FetLife. 
I wanted to kind of start over again. And so I've had good responses to my profile with regards to ladies who are seeking those sort of things. They want to have problems with behavioral issues. A lot of them, they have very high paying jobs and they're under a lot of stress. They like my profile primarily for the fact that I'm not afraid to hit beautiful women. I'm not. <laughs> and severely, but also I want them to be friends with me. Some people will say, you cannot be my friend because I'm your disciplinarian. I, I disagree with that statement. I think that you can be a friend on a level with them, but during the session, they're there for one purpose. And they're there, they're seeking that, that someone they, that they can trust. You, you're not going to do well if you're with somebody that you don't feel comfortable with, you feel they may harm you in a bad way. So getting to know a person, or even do a first session with them is something that I've, I've always had in place. So on my profile on MetLife, for example, I do state clearly that there is a interview period prior to a first session. I need to get to know something about you. Uh, I need to get to know you better. You've looked at my profile. You've read the details. It answers basic and general questions, but more detailed questions only that are unique to you. You can address those questions at the time of a phone interview. And some people would like to meet in person prior to the first session, which is totally okay with me. Uh, I don't travel because I have a business here, and my business requires my daily attention, so they come to me. And none of my play partners are from Texas, by the way. So they all come from various parts of the United States. Some of them come from Europe and Asia. Right now, there's travel restrictions, and so my overseas play partners, they can't come see me because of the COVID travel restrictions. There's various countries have various problems. But the ones in the States can certainly come see me, and they do. And I usually do a session about every four to six weeks averaging I tell the ladies that, you know, their marks have to be cleared up before I can do another session with them. I'm not going to mark over them too heavily, but they understand what they're getting into. Well, a lot of them, when they do read my profile, they may say, it's a long read. But for those who are into what I what I provide, it is not that long a read at all. In fact, they appreciate the extra details. It outlines perfectly what I'm looking for. This is not for something that is for the ladies who have a casual interest in this sort of thing. It's an actual punishment. It's not a fantasy play or whatever. It could be a role play if you want it to be, but I can assure you that the punishments are very real. So I do very careful screening with making sure the mental, emotional, and physical status is all in par with what I provide. If I think I don't feel comfortable doing a session with someone because of of a a personality problem or perhaps uh, what I consider a mental problem. I I do realistic sessions, real canings. I can do real prison canings. I've done judicial canings. When I moved from Dallas to here, I couldn't take all my canings and paddles with me. I had a bunch. I use the highest quality canings I can find. There are some good companies. Quality Control is one. They're from the UK. And I use uh, English Vice canings is what I like. And they're made here in the United States in Arizona. They're handmade, soaked and all that. So one of my questions for you, because you cut, we covered a lot of territory real quick, which I understand because that question we give you is a huge thing. Sure. You talked about at your earliest understanding, you liked corporal punishment, if I'm remembering correctly. So were you exposed to corporal punishment in schools or something? So what, where was that point for you that you understood that's what you liked or did you see a magazine or a video or something what what was the point well mainly in schools growing up in texas schools paddling was very normal 
it happened every day in elementary school. Some kid was out in the hallway getting spanked with a paddle for something. So explain that to me because I've heard Saffer's explanation of caning in South Africa. On a typical basis, what constitutes an issue for paddling in Texas schools? And then where is the person paddled and who's paddling them? Well, that's a, that's a, uh, a broad question in and of itself because you have to ask yourself, what time period are you asking about? Are you talking about the 1950s and 60s and early 70s? Are you referring more to the late 70s and 80s? For your time. Your time. For my time. Okay, my time. Uh, kids were, some, some schools, they, in elementary school, children were paddled on the bare bottom in the bathroom by the teacher. What? Other really? times, they were, they were paddled in the hallway by a teacher, typically female teachers. We didn't have too many male teachers. That was sparse. I think all of the teachers were female. Wow. Not That's in my wild. school. Not in my high school. Or, or not in my, my elementary school, however. Wow. That's, a, that's amazing. Right, so you got to see this. Right. You, you get to see this. You know. Okay. The other question is... We're talking a lot about disciplinarian, and obviously there's a different construct with punishment type of impact, if you will, play. Uh, it's not even play if it's punishment, but let's just say the reason I'm bringing up play is because you said you've dealt with masochists. So how does that scenario work when someone's not being punished but they're just a masochist? Are you working out agreements ahead of time? or Right. Their sessions are the same as those getting disciplinary punished. Some masochists want to be punished for various things. Other masochists simply just want the pain only without the role play, without anything associated with it. They understand that their level of intensity, I don't discriminate. So everybody gets the same thing. And that's what I was asking is if it's punishment or masochistic play, which is not punishment, you're a one-stop shop. Basically, you have a certain method you go about, a certain process there could be right. slight changes but you operate the same way whether it's punishment or masochism play that's correct tell me about your process for discipline i assume you have some experience in behavior modification and disciplining somebody around their behavior so speak to that experience that you have well, we'll talk about uh, a lady that I see about every six weeks for canning, for example. Uh, adult canning, she is completely undressed. Sometimes she wears her heels. She doesn't get restrained. She doesn't want that yet. Hmm. Uh, that's coming, no doubt, in the future. Right now, um, she has a problem treating – she has a, a very high-level position in a large corporation on the East Coast. She does not treat her subordinates very well. She knows that she doesn't. She has an anger problem. And she has, she's very conniving also. She also recognizes that as well. And she had a disciplinarian for me, and she felt it really helped, and he moved away. But she found me, because I don't reproach women on BetLife with a, a cold message saying, are you interested in this? They approach me, and they send me a message. And there's a screening process, but we go through that. And then after that's done, we address the issues. What is your problem? What is your, what is it that you're wanting to do this session for? In her case, she has a bad attitude. And she feels that these 
punishment sessions because it takes her four to six weeks to clear up from her pain wealth that she uh, this does help her keep her in check and it reminds her when she sits down especially at the first week going back to her job so four to six weeks for a clean slate if you will right it's hard for me to understand what that means because I'm a heavy masochist on impact play and Saffir canes me weekly so I just don't understand that four to six weeks. Like that would make me think, what type of impact are you giving? Full force. So what you're looking at here is adult canning. They're doggy style, either on a chair, a sofa. They could be in various standing positions as well. Typically, I like to put them doggy style because their ass is in the air and it gives me a better target. How many strokes that require four to six weeks for her to recover? My regiment has starting points, and I call them starting points as outlined in my profile, but they can be increased, but they cannot be decreased. After I get to know you while we do sessions, we can increase them. But the regiment is this, for example, for adult caning, 24 strokes, 36, or 50. Okay. And how did you arrive at that? Was that random, or did you figure that out based on your experience? Well, based on what I've read about corporal punishment in schools regarding caning, it was either 6, 12, or 18, sometimes two sets of 12. And so I've incorporated that. This is early days, say, turn of the century England, up to like the, the 30s. After that, it became 12 strokes was pretty traditional, 6 to 12 was traditional in most English schools. So my question is, if this person, the, the one you're talking about with an anger issue, she comes in for 12 or 24 strokes. Is it because she's bruising that she can't come back in, in time or what? I mean, because I'm experienced. I've been caned weekly for two years with caning. That's good. With, That's good. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm trying to figure out as a masochist what that actually means. Right. So with her, she had a break for a while until she found me. And until she gets reacclimated again to building back up, she'll either get 24 or 36. Do you warm them up beforehand? No. Because they're punishment? Is that why? Yes. And all of my sessions are punishment mode. Even masochist sessions. Right. It's interesting. You know, there are different reasons to cane somebody, right? So... You're caning in a non-sexual context. It lives in the world of corporal punishment. And, yes. you, and you talked about prison punishment, corporal punishment, and so forth. So share for us like how you differentiate between your different styles. Okay. So the school punishments are either paddling or caning. It could also be over the lap with the paddle. Mm. Some girls like to have a uh, school uniform and all that. They don't have to get undressed, but their skirts are raised and their panties are lowered down to their ankles. It's going to be very embarrassing. It's also going to be very painful. Typically, depending on the personality, I'll either take my time with them over my lap, spacing out the squats every four to six seconds, or I'll go faster. The starting point is 30 over my lap. I'm adjusting for adult, too. So whether you're adult or schoolgirl, school punishment over the lap is going to be the starting point is 30. And it goes to 40, and it goes to 50. They can be adjusted higher at a later time if that's your desire to, to be punished in that fashion. The other portion is school paddling. Bend over, grab your ankles, or bend over and touch your toes. Your skirt is raised up over your hips, and you are required to wear a school uniform to be the part. 
if your hair is long enough to be put in pigtails, it will be put in pigtails. And you will have saddle shoes, red plaid pleated skirt, and a white button-down blouse. When you talk about adult versus school, I don't know what that means because they're all adults, right? They are, except for the adults are completely undressed. Oh, I get it. Okay. So if they're That's in a, if they're taking on the role of adult, they're undressed. If they're except taking on the role of schoolgirl, they're in a schoolgirl outfit. That's correct. If okay. they are getting paddled, for example, as an adult, they are completely nude. Okay. If gotcha. they are getting caned and uh, they wish to, to wear their heels, they can wear those. Otherwise, they're completely nude also. What is prison punishment then? Prison punishment is where you're totally restrained using handcuffs, leg irons, and chains. Uh, I like to do my sessions, I think, nowadays in a local hotel. Here's the question I have for you. So I get that you're taking on this role as a disciplinarian and the intention is to punish women with full force punishment and for them they have a purpose to accept that punishment what's your purpose change their behavior or provide them with the necessary pain that they need in order for them to be fulfilled within the realm of their identification, which their masochist that explains itself. No, no, that, that's pain. not answering the question. What do you get out of this? I enjoy doing this. I'm a sadist. Got it. Okay. So I know you talked about moving. Like how many clients do you have on the books? Well, I would see somebody, I had a room set up in my previous house, which was much bigger than where I'm at now. And I would see somebody at least once, sometimes twice a week. I had probably 18 partners. Now now I have like eight. Okay. So I'm just starting over again. I got it. I'm getting there. Yeah, well, I got it. I think the question that we really want to get you to speak to is what's the value of corporal punishment to somebody who's making an effort to make an improvement in their life? Like where does corporal punishment live for them that has them seek you out in the first place? They feel a need to give up control to someone else, particularly to a male dominant. One, I hate to say it, they're looking for a real man to take care of them in this way. It's a primal thing. Time and again, I've gotten that response because I've asked the same question to them. When I talk to them, I ask them, what is it about me or someone like me that attracts you to me. And it all goes back to the same thing. They feel the need to submit to a man. They feel a need to be to give up control because they've been handed this control and they don't feel it feels biologically correct to them. So like the lady who the, the the CEO who treats her subordinates terribly. Yeah. She doesn't yeah. know how to control herself. Okay, well, this isn't submission, though. This doesn't live in the world of submission. This lives in the world of control. This is corporal punishment for the purpose of changing behavior. So how do you measure how your corporal punishment is affecting them, and how do you adjust when you get feedback that it isn't? That's a good question. So they are required to write down all things that they're wanting to work on in writing. So I'll look at those and I compare them to what they're telling me. And I, I look down the list and I have conversations with them from time to time in between sessions to see how well they're doing. Are they making improvements or are they not? What's going on? So 
punishments are adjusted for different things. They schedule a session that there's a minimum amount that they can do. They know that. But if they're continually not, uh, they make all kinds of promises while they're dur- during the session, I can, I can tell you. Uh, but afterwards, when they go back to where they are from and they start living in their world again and they fall back, they feel, the, my regulars at least, they, they call me and they say, oh, look, I'm, I'm having a hard time. Uh, I need to I need to schedule another session to see you. I need to talk to you about this. This is not working. And then we make appropriate adjustments for those things. I make life recommendations too, not just in the way of paddling and caning, but also other things. I know women pretty well. So I get the whole, if people fail at the objective... And need discipline. But I also know how women work. And there is a phenomenon of brat in discipline. And there's a tension by that because they're a pain slut or somehow they're not getting what they're needing in other parts of their life. So they purposely sabotage things. The other thing is when you run into a masochist who's a service masochist, you know, with a disciplinarian, they're going to be nuts on on what you want them to do what they're what they're requiring is just direction and structure for what they need to do the follow-through could be great so let's say you have someone in your discipline who is high service let's just say and they're falling through with all they need so then they don't come see you for discipline but they're a masochist how does that work because there's a difference there punishment play and masochism play is a difference that's true and so they come back to see me because I'm not afraid to hit them. A lot of these masochists, for some reason, they're running into so-called sadists or other people like them or like me who claim to be like me. And they, they go a lot of them, oh, she's hurting. Oh, I don't care about that. You don't use your safe word. It's, it's fair game. So that's a great question. So, so do you allow safe words in your sessions or not? Yes, yeah, safe words are mandatory. If you, I'm okay, confused well, because... because if you're punishing somebody and you said, as a sadist, you're getting 24 strokes, but you have a safe word, what does the safe word guarantee them? Well, the safe word is for safety. Every person that plays at this level, or perhaps any level, no, no, in no. my opinion. No, 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 right? no, 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 Sorry. Safe word is to stop play. Play versus discipline. Discipline, right. there's, no, there's no safe words in discipline. How do you create discipline around a safe word? That is impossible as far as I'm concerned. These are adults. They're consenting adults. Right. In, a, in, in the perfect world, let's say back in the medieval days, who cares about safe words? That wasn't even thought of. You're done when I think you are. <laughs> but but uh, what, about, so. what about you as a sadist and a disciplinarian making agreements with someone who's basically contracting you to be their disciplinarian. There's agreements made, so then there is consent. You've given them, I don't know, they can't smoke this week. They smoke, they are forthcoming, they tell you they've smoked, you've agreed that equals so many strokes. Because you don't see them but once a month or whatever, you add those up over time. So by the time you see them, they have discipline of... 18 strokes, let's just say. They know that. They're very aware as a, in a discipline dynamic that they've agreed to this or they shouldn't have agreed to it because that's the consent that was originally in the workability of the agreement. 
and then they get there and then they can safe word out? That's what well, I'm no, that's no. what I'm questioning about. If if they're owed 18 strokes because they smoked the period of time that they weren't supposed to and you you had that agreement, how does that work? With right. with behavior session, modification is what I'm talking about. Right. The first session as everybody knows is the most important one because you can talk to you know, your death and still not know everybody, know a person well until you've done a session with them in that realm. But after that, then it becomes a, uh, you want to be a regular. Okay, well, you play by my rules. You don't want to play by my rules, you'll find yourself looking for another disciplinary. So if the agreement was 18 for whatever you've done, then it's expected that you'll do that. Otherwise, you should probably seek someone else. Do you get any tributes or, or funding or you take them on as clients? No, I'm not a business. I don't accept any gifts, gratuities, monies, anything of that nature. I do not pay out any gratuities, monies, or uh, goods or items. Okay, gotcha. Either way. Got it. So if I understand the context, you're a disciplinarian. You construct a process whereby somebody has an agreement with you to receive X amount of disciplining impact, however you determine it is, on a routine basis. And they have a safe word that lets them short-circuit that process. Is that an accurate assessment? That, that's correct. And usually, if the safe word is going to be used, it'll be, it's on the first session. So a person can find out whether or not they're right for me or not. That's why I put in there, this may not be right for you. If you don't like marks on you, you're talking to the wrong person. I understand. You don't like Mark on you that lasts a while. You're still talking to the wrong person. <laughs> I, I understand. Let's say you've got a person that you've been seeing regularly every four to six weeks for a year. Are you going to let them safe word out? They never would. No, no. They, they're they seeing me for a year. Safe word is not even a consideration in their mind. They know what's Wait coming. That's not my question. My question, my question is, do they have a safe word? No. Okay, good. All right. How is that communicated to them, and when is that communicated? There's no safe word. Are you clear about that? Because that's part of the well, consensual agreement. Right, so if, I'm, if you're looking to be a regular with me, then there's no point in you coming to see me if you're going to safe word out every other time. Or no, time. no, I get that. I get your logic behind it. That's not a problem. I get that as a disciplinarian. What and when... What session and when do you communicate that directly to the person you're disciplining? Uh, after the first session, if it goes well and they handled everything well, okay, then uh, and they're interested in perhaps being a regular, then I will discuss that with them at that time. One is in place because for whatever reason, you know, people will look at you like, oh, this guy has no limits and he's gonna, he knows what's going to happen. So again, I go back right. to that same question. As a masochist myself, marking that lasts four to six weeks, I just don't understand that. Right. That's because they haven't played as much as they should have. Getting back, they've lost someone. They've been out of, out of it for a while because this is always, the same. it's like a broken record. Everyone I talk to, they said, well, I have, I used to see somebody and I haven't been in the lifestyle in a while, but I want to get back into it. And I used to see this one guy who did this, but he moved away. And it's always the same story. I haven't met anybody that's transitioning from one to another that is accustomed to being marked on a regular basis. 
Look, I think the intention of this conversation beyond sort of promoting your king is to discover what it is that creates a need for a sadist to be available to, in your case, women. Like, what is it that has to allow for you to be a, to exist? You know, like, what is it that women are missing that you get to be somebody who takes a cane to random women, you know, ongoingly, like, week by week? Well, they have a need that needs to be filled, and I feel that need. And that that some women respond to this form of scenario or they they, they can respond to their behavior modification through corporal punishment. Some women cannot, you know. So this is a very very important question. So as a sadist and as a disciplinarian, I never, ever, ever, ever caned anybody out of anger. Right. So what's your come from? Like, where do you come from as a sadist in the world of disciplinary as a disciplinarian? I come from the point of view of destructive behaviors. You have a behavioral problem. If you present that, if you're a masochist, then you're presenting to me someone who is seeking pain. You're seeking high levels of pain. You're talking to me because that's what you'll get. There's a starting point, like I said before. But uh, depending on what you've done, I'll suggest something to you and we'll work it out. Mm-hmm. I'd like to get feedback from the submissive slash masochist to find out what their thoughts on the matter is. Some of them have little details, and there's all kinds of little details that can be discussed in like the interview portion to help with their sessions, to help make their sessions more productive for them. So I enjoy doing this. And I get fulfillment out of doing this and also seeing the change it makes in them. Okay, good. Like, how have you changed as a human being by being a sadist to women who seek corporal punishment? I've become more calm and more reserved and a better listener. Hmm. That's over the, over over time, that's what I've noticed about myself. I probably spank harder now than I did before. And I don't look at things in... From the point of view of anger, I look at them from the point of view of correction. Okay, good. Are you happier than you were? I believe I am. Are you involved in a dynamic? I have a monogamous relationship with someone who is not in a lifestyle, but I don't. I no longer. I used to have slaves, but now I just have a I have, I have a person that's that's not in the lifestyle, but she's monogamous. So you're involved with a woman who's not in the lifestyle. And she's tolerant of you having a corporal punishment context for your relationship with multiple other women. Right. Gotcha. All right. She's not in the lifestyle at all. She doesn't. She does not involve with dis- discipline or anything in that kink area with you. That's correct. I'm not judging at all because people can compartmentalize. Are you? Do you feel there's a miss there with not having your kink part of your sexual time? Or are you very compartmentalized on being able to separate those? Oh, no, uh, I didn't. I don't really feel that it has interfered with that. Um, it probably has. Uh, uh, I, I used to be have a partner that was into that. And uh, there was more problems created by that than not having that. So I feel more complete being 
the way I am now. And right. Well, it sounds like you've compartmentalized. You're you're definitely a disciplinary on one side, and then you have your private life on another side. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, I appreciate USB coming on and talking with us about your life as a disciplinarian, and sharing with us your approach to managing the excesses and lifestyles of various women who reach out to you. So thanks so much for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. If you're interested in kinky relationship coaching, online domination, or if you'd like to sponsor the pod to keep it going, please visit our Patreon website at Lady Petra Playground. You can reach me via email at ladypetraplayground at gmail.com. Our music is composed and performed by Roger Ferguson, who can be found at rogerfergusonmusic.com. Till next time, cheers! Thank you.